Welcome to Books and Bourbon, where I, Katie, your host, bring you my love of books and bourbon with monthly takes on what to read and why bourbon is more than a great liquor. have a big giant school bell wouldn't you <laughs> i do well it's actually a shaker, shaker? yeah it actually mixes drinks but it's got the bell in it you can ring it and make drinks at the same time oh, that's fancy <laughs> of course i mean of course i mean even the first of course oh Ty is now squeezing her hedgehog so, so if y'all hear any random farting noises it's not us it's just kaya and her hedgehog who is our extra special guest tonight so Anyway, um, thank you for joining us on this third episode of Books and Bourbon. I have the distinct pleasure of bringing on probably one of my favorite people in the entire world. He's my mentor, bad influencer. <laughs> yes. First one, no. Second one, yes. <laughs> very much so. The first one, no. You are very much a mentor to me. And friend, best friend, love, support, big brother, uncle, whatever. Yes, everything everything in between um i have thank you keith for joining me today it's i'm super excited for this and this is going to be an absolute blast and i hope you're all ready because this might end up being two to three episodes <laughs> <laughs> yes that could be because most people that uh don't know me um people that do reference them say, if you have not met Keith, you probably need an hour to at least have an introduction because that's how long you talk. So absolutely, yeah, I am so excited about this. I've never done one of these things and I have no clue what's happening, but I trust my Katie to lead me through it and just be a part of the good times that we're going to share about books and bourbon because what better things are there in the world than books and bourbon. Exactly. exactly. Well, and besides my giant dog. Yes. So. <laughs> Kaya, my little niece. Little yes. is not as well. Wow, little no. No, she's a small horse. Oh, <laughs> oh excellent. Um, first of all, I wanted to uh, talk up. I had the distinct pleasure of reading um, an amazing book and I've been so excited to talk about it. It is um, Jamal's Incredible Adventures in the Black Church, which for both of you who don't know, either Keith and I, neither are black, but we're also very gay. So we have a very interesting perspective when it comes to churches and ourselves. Um, so I thought this would be kind of an interesting book to kind of kick off. Um, it's written by Myron Clifton, who is actually part of the Joyful Warrior podcast now we're our amazing network here he's written um several of my favorite other books i've read the legends live in you uh, it's a great book about goddesses and their daughters i highly recommend anybody to read it um anybody with uterus especially would especially enjoy it but this book uh jamal's incredible inches in black church is it's dark it's humorous it was really hard to put down like i actually I tried to pace myself with this book and um, I know, as I said, being part of the LGBT community, I've had some interesting times in the church myself and there's some hypocrisy that I have seen in it. And this is about a 16 year old, 17 year old kid 
whose uncle is the head pastor for a very prominent church in Oakland. And he's become his uncle's designated driver and kind of an unwilling person confidant. And really, <laughs> he learns a lot of shit about the church that I don't think he ever wanted to know about. And there's some hypocrisy to it that, you know, that you find out about, you know, pastors are up there preaching about sinning, you know, the sexual temptations that they have, but at the same time, back rooms, sleeping with all the women of the church. Or the and, guys. And the guys, yeah. Because there are actually several. Exactly. And actually in this book, Jamal, because he's a young, strapping 17-year-old kid, gets hit on by a lot of the pastors, which obviously make him very comfortable. And see yeah, other holding his hand a little too long, flirting with him, all that. It's it's an interesting, it's very interesting, but very well written. Uh, Myron, Myron has a very unique way with words. He has a very unique way with supporting cast, especially this book had everything from evangelical pastors that are, you know, one minute preaching about all the sins out there, but in the second minute, their dick is in everybody's pants. <laughs> type of thing. Um, yeah, the money influence how they are obsessed with with getting money, just continuously getting money for the churches and trying to say, it's, can you, you know, God's love and good majority of their um, donations come from black, especially black women in this book, which of course, who are the most at fault with all these sins black women in this. So it was um, one that I, I found very interesting to read. And there's a secret throughout the whole book that you wonder if it ever does come out. You find out about it at the very beginning, but then you don't really find out towards the end of where how it ends up with. And it was very interesting how he pulled that all together. I'm not going to reveal it because I don't want to reveal that ending to anybody, but it's, I highly recommend it. And definitely Keith would enjoy it as well. And I was kind of joking. I've had some strange experiences in the church and it took me to coming to the south as a gay woman to find a church that i felt comfortable with and yeah. actually church Ooh, there, there's a statement right exactly <laughs> that and of course it was you know founded by a gay woman and had two gay past two gay pastors and very heavily involved other pastor that was so it, i found it very interesting that coming to the south but i've had some seen the weird influences that hypocrisies that a lot of churches have out there. So that one, I highly recommend it. Um, again, it's Jamal's incredible adventures in the black church. Um, going, I got it off Amazon. Myron tried to give it to me for free, but I told him no, <laughs> but so go read it. Give it a chance. Um, what are you reading right now, Keith? Actually, we're trying um, to read because Lord knows. Trying. Yes, yes. I am uh, in the middle of a, or hopefully to the end of a doctoral program, which excuse the uh, my language, dear audience, but I don't know what the hell I was thinking at my age, <laughs> but it was something that was important to me to kind of just leave a tradition for my family. And uh, so I have been pursuing a, a doctorate in early literacy and oral language. Um, I was a middle school teacher, special ed for a long time, and then got into the private sector and then back to education. And I have found my niche with the littles and the families. I absolutely <laughs> love that. So a lot of my reading is uh, academic, but I've also found some time to read some things that are um, kind of inspirational too. So uh, I guess I will ask you, 
dear Katie, would you like me to talk more professional books or I've got a gamut. I told Katie when, before we got on, I was like, you're going to kill me because we talked about talking about books and then I couldn't stop. And so I put myself in the middle of a, almost like a semi-circle kind of a ritual of about 70, 80 books. I was like, God, I gotta, I don't know how to limit them. So if nothing else, I can type out a list and share uh, with Katie that she can send out or however that works. I again, podcast is not my realm. I don't know. That, <laughs> Let's but, pull from everything. Like, we're going to do, I uh, have got a lot of books to share. So I will share <laughs> that one that I just recently received my, um, my best friend from high school and her daughter uh, and partner. Uh, well, her daughter and partner are about to have their first baby. And uh, she had her uh, daughter and I have been super, super close. And I have been the Ganesh, the, the gunkle to my Ganesh for years. <laughs> and so they got married last year. They're having their first baby. So they had a baby shower this past weekend and they gave me a book called The Gunkle. And it's by Stephen Rowley. I haven't started reading it yet, but I'm super excited. Aww. The picture on the front looks really cute. Uh, it's got uh, a, a, a dog, little puppy in the back, which I'm a dog lover. It's got a young girl, a younger boy, and then this man in a caftan. And I'm like, pretty sure I've never won a caftan. But if my Ganesha's daughter says, hey, Gunkle Keith, we need you to wear a caftan, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to do. So like I won't do anything to, to make her life uh, <laughs> still feel inclusive or whatever. So, so that's a book that I'm really excited about starting. Couple books that I've been reading just even for my pleasure, which I don't get to do very often, and I really like to um, to have those moments. One book that I've read multiple times now is called The Book of Joy, and it's from uh, the it's a, by the uh, that's Kaya now squeezing her guitar. to say something. The Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, and the book has been inspirational to me in so many ways. Um, I keep going back and looking at it and pulling out quotes and. Then there's been a lot of times, you know, again, through COVID, we all had our experiences and what things were tough, what things were surreal, things that we just didn't know if we could ever get through. And, and myself, which I don't know by the end of this podcast, if you'll understand that I might be a little bit of an extrovert, but I tried to convince myself I was an introvert just to get through it. And that did not work. And so I spiraled a little bit. And so the book of joy was very, very helpful. I had read it multiple times prior to the co but before the pandemic, but even reading it since then, it has really helped me get grounded in thinking about what is important in life. What do we look at about relationships, our inner relationship, my, my relationship with myself, with whatever higher power yeah. and with others. And so it's been a really good, a really, really good book. Another fun book that I've been reading I haven't finished it yet because I started and have to put it down, started, put it down. But it's called The Library Book by Susan Orlean. And it's about this fire that takes place in California. And the book, the story is told eventually from the, the perspective of a book in the library and what it has gone through. And it is really a neat and interesting book. It's based off something that actually happened in California uh, about a library that burned. So it's got a little bit of historical fiction. And I like historical fiction. It's one of my favorite genres. Oh, I, I do too. And there are two other books that I can share that books, and I know I'm getting ahead of the schedule here, but books I could not put down. Two books that I read in that historical fiction genre were The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. And that is a, a story about uh, this mass murderer, very discreet, during the World's Fair in Chicago. Hmm. Now, I don't know that World's Fairs even take place anymore. I was wondering about that the other day. 
And I actually went to the one that was in Knoxville when I was in high school. And so I got to experience what that was. So there was some background knowledge. But one of the first ones that was in Chicago is when they actually introduced electricity and lights. And so this story is about this this guy who is so infiltrated into not only the mechanisms of what's happening with the fair, but also his interpersonal struggles and the things that he's doing that's, you know, he's becoming very murderous. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it just, it's a dark, but really interesting historical fiction piece. Another story that again, falls along those lines is from Stephen King, that it's one of those books that I could not put down. And it was hard for me to even sleep at night because I wanted to read it so much. It just kept going. <laughs> it was called 112263. And it's about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And there's this character that somehow finds this portal that he keeps slipping in and out of the current times back into that period of time where he could have made influence and how he was trying to be careful and what his relationships are there, people that he meets when he gets back into. I mean, he just, and he never gets to code switch or figure out where he's going. He just absolutely shows up in one of the two places. And that's a very, very interesting story. And again, what things could have been done to avert that crisis, but at the same time, talking about the humanistic piece of it, where there's feeling, emotion, relationships, seeing things on the back end that most people would have not known. Uh, so Stephen King, again, is a, is a great writer, and he just knows how to tap into emotion and fear and feelings, and then still bring that realistic piece of it. So that's a book that I've always, always loved. Um, another series that I've really, really uh, have, has always been something, one of my staples is the Patricia Cornwell series, especially the ones about Kay Scarpetta, hmm. who was the uh, coroner, the executive coroner. Um, and that's a great, great series uh, with her with Benson and Lucy. And I mean, those in and out stories have been great and they're riveting. She has another series that deals with, uh, and I'm, I'm not as familiar because they didn't appeal to me as much, but I think it's a female detective or policewoman. Uh, that one, something didn't get me, but this female, this corner, it just, it's just amazing, these stories. There's a lot of darkness to it. There's a lot of love to it, passion, um, just, it, it's a full gamut. So again, those are books that are hard for me to put down that I have uh, kind of been engaged in. Yeah. So- I guess that's it for now. I will stop. <laughs> I can keep going. I told you I had lots. Of I know life. you could. Y'all, seriously, um, I posted a picture. I had to laugh because all of all of us sitting in a circle this morning going through the books that Lisa, <laughs> one of our partners at our organization, and I was like, this is what it's like to be a literacy influencer. You're surrounded by books. And when we say we are book nerds, yeah, um, we bring trailers and carts full of books when we do stuff so this is why you were one of my top guests to come on here um what is one of your favorite authors that you've had i know you've well, mentioned stephen king but stephen king and patricia cornwell probably were the two that yeah. really got me eric larson books i like them because they have that historical fiction and i like history i've always been a history buff well, I'm old. And if you could see me right now, I'm sitting with a t-shirt on that my good friend Katie gave me for five <laughs> months and my birthday. That's a old gay dinosaur. And that is me. Um, <laughs> but I've always been a history buff. I've always yeah. enjoyed, you know, figuring out what our past is and where it's leading us to right now and where we are. And it's, I don't know, there's just something about that realm that has really 
been in, it been been good for me, and yeah. uh, I've always liked those. So all three of those have kind of really fit into those perspectives. So I would say those three. There are children's authors who I absolutely adore. Uh, I love Lauren Long. Um, I love. Um, I'm, I'm, I just went blank all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> You're sounding my books again. Yes. Uh, uh, Matt De La Pena, I've always loved his books. Kirby Larson has a great series of books that she does that's out from, uh, you know, kind of that movement out West. If people follow Yellowstone or kind of 1883, this is kind of, you know, same thing of movement out West. Kirby Larson is great. And I've met her and Matt and they're amazing. Um, So I would say those are some of the authors right now that I guess I still feel really akin to. Um, I mean, there's a lot of children's authors that, you know, we, uh, Shel Silverstein and, you know, there's, it's quite a few, Diane Fleming. Um, I mean, there's there, Denise Fleming, sorry. You don't look up Diane Fleming because I tried that once before and she's going to prison. Denise Fleming is the one you want to look up. So, but there are a number of people that, um, you know, if children's authors that I've liked as well, that, you know, just have really been a huge impact. So. Excellent. That's a, some high lists, great lists there. And I'm the same way. I, history definitely is one of my favorite um, timelines to always kind of want to escape into when I need to escape into a book. Um, that's why and why am I totally Ken Follett, probably one of my favorite authors. Um, he writes a lot of a lot of World War II books especially uh, strong female characters in them. Um, but he's written a lot of different other historical no- novels that I've loved. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, here's a fun little question that I got submitted uh, by a listener. Uh, let's see, what was the name? Carrie. Thank you, Carrie, for listening, by the way. Um, they, she wanted to know if you could live in any book timeline, which would it be? <laughs> Uh, you know, I really enjoyed that whole uh, Stephen King, the 11, uh, 2263, and I would have been very interested to be a part of that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I would have just been a passerby or knowing what I know now, could I have been a time traveler and have really delved into like being a help during this guy going in and out of portals, being at one end or the other. It's like, dude, look at this. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always love the books. I love Charles Dickens stuff with great expectations mm-hmm. of Tell of Two Cities, but that was a very hard life. And uh, there are times that I think, oh, you know, was it more simple then? But gosh, I don't know. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> it was a lot harder. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I grew up with books like, which are now becoming very, very interesting. I had a great English teacher, uh, Mr. Rob Lane from Nicholas County High School in Kentucky that got us into reading books like eight, uh, 1984, Lord of the Flies. I mean, Shakespeare stuff, West Side Story. I mean, just all of that. Mm. Unfortunately, that's coming to fruition now. It's a little scary than heck. <laughs> that's what we are. But You're like, oh, there was, shit. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that that I really liked. So I, I would say that probably the genre romantically I always loved the 20s and 30s, like yeah. the great Gatsby and that kind of stuff. It still was a very tumultuous time and there were things that were so unsettled. Uh, but there's a part of me that felt like that was kind of a fun period. I've been watching a lot of documentaries about um, kind of the early beginnings of America and uh, 
kind of the different guilds and societies that have been interesting about architecture. It wasn't so much for me about the, the class, but yeah. just the architecture of how we brought so many influences from other parts of the world as an immigrant nation. And I say that very purposefully as an immigrant nation <laughs> that we brought things here that um, helped. It was such a confluence of so many different architectural styles and a love of art and a love of religions and a love of just, you know, having things that were beautiful and fun and helpful and, and even functional because, you know, we went through ages that we had to build stuff and feel fun things are. So there's a part of me that really liked that. Would I have been very good at it? Heck no. I, I mean, I keep my oil in my own vehicle. Well, I used to until all the new vehicles now, but these are things that I like to do. I love to build furniture, but could I have done that type of lifestyle? I don't know, but there still is something about the Gilded Age, you know, the whole Downton Abbey. And again, I'm talking about a different you know, class of society, but I always liked the people that were in the village and having been to England and going to the villages and seeing that you know, that really common life, like in our small towns here. I mean, I, I come from a very small town, so um, I don't know. I don't know that there's a specific age, but there are specific points and aspects of different ages that I think I would ascribe to, so. I don't know, you like architecture. You know, that was actually going to be my major, and that I almost went into architecture as a major. Oh, yeah. I did too. I loved architecture. <laughs> Why are we the same person? Always. Uh, always. Yeah. Keith and I joke about this a lot that we are the same person, and apparently. I'm just 500 years old, but I'm the dinosaur. <laughs> and <keep going>. so. <laughs> well, my mom still thinks you're in your 40s, and he's a chrysalis. <laughs> She's still not convinced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, since you mentioned some of your obviously that people know that we do a lot of professional development for teachers in the state of Kentucky. Shout out to all of them. You guys are all amazing. Um, and we actually have a lot of teacher listeners on this show. So what are some books that you might recommend for them to gear up for the next coming year? Cause Lord, it's become quicker than ever. <laughs> it's like July 4th happens and it's school year starts. <laughs> exactly. And, and this may be a niche that, um, once you followers, you know, you're going to follow Katie. Hopefully I get to, to enjoy your company again, but I'm a very emotional guy at times. I'm a big papaw. That's what the, my, my yes. teachers always call me. I'm big papa, big papaw, papaw, Keith, whatever it is. And teacher edification is the thing that has given me my passion in my latter years of life. Um, as I said, I was a teacher and then I went to private sector and then I became a uh, working with an agency uh, at what Katie and I work with, and it is a what a teacher of teachers. We get mm -hmm. to work with teachers, and so realizing that in the classroom and in your environment, sometimes you're not getting the respect and the autonomy and the edification that you need. Uh, that's the thing that I have. I, that is that's what makes my heart beat. Mm -hmm. And so when I share personal resources about professional development books, it means it's something that I truly trust in. I'm not going to, I don't promote publishers. I don't promote authors unless I know it's good. And it's something I would use. And if it's something I'm not going to use, then, then I'll let you read it on your own, but I'm going to promote stuff that I know. I'm going to share some stuff with you. And this list is going to get long. So <laughs> again, I'm sorry. And I'll try to be as brief as possible about all of them. One of my favorite, favorite authors, oh God, yes. professional development is Tani McGregor. Mm -hmm. and there, she has a series of books, but the oh, one, wow. the ink and ideas 
has been an amazing book. It's about sketch noting. So it's about students having creativity and using that creativity to be able to take notes and to be able to sketch ideas from what their conception is of, or perception of ideas that have been shared with them in the classroom and their instruction. So that they can then kind of develop almost like web mapping your mind. And this book has been inspirational for me for years. We have uh, since, well, I shouldn't say years because it's not that old of a book, but <laughs> Tanny is amazing. And if you ever have the opportunity to meet or have Tanny McGregor be a part of any work that you're doing, it is absolutely wonderful. Um, and I feel the same thing about Matt Glover. Matt Glover is another gentleman, and we're very fortunate because both of those live in the Cincinnati area, and we're both in Lexington. But Matt Glover has a series of books uh, I am reading um, and uh, already ready that are about early literacy and early reading that are just transformational. Uh, we started uh, with Matt. He'd been to with a conference for us for our state Kentucky Reading Association, which big plug. We love our state reading association. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, he came and we got so enamored that we started working with him as far as our early childhood uh, year long P uh, PD initiatives that we would have. And it was because they really talked about what early writing is about. And it's not about formation of letters always. It's not about writing sentences. Even drawing and sketching is still early writing. Yeah. And so Matt Glover gives space for that so that not only can our children feel there's a place for them to be able to express in those, whatever those scriptic ways that they do, but scriptic, is that even a word? It is now. It is, it is now. now. We're making up words now. <laughs> Yay, dinosaur, it gets this called scriptic word, but, <laughs> but they actually get to be able to pin something that really means something to them and how's that interpreted. And then when you ask them about it, they give a story behind it. So that, that is kind of early writing and how that develops into letter formation. How does that develop into expression? How does it develop into sentence and expression of ideas in a more meaningful way with the illustrations? So uh, Matt Glover and Tanny McGregor, I, I cannot say enough about them. Uh, another book that a professional book that has been very meaningful to me because I've always loved vocabulary, uh, but our very own, she's from Kentucky, but Brenda Overturf has done a series of books on vocabulary um, from the early elementary years, and she worked with Kentucky teachers. It's called Word Nerds, Teaching All Students to Learn and Love Vocabulary. Amazing strategies in here that are just tried and proven and done from one of the lowest performing school districts in one of our largest counties in the state, and yet they became very proficient in this because they was able to transform student ideas, teacher connections, and learning. Yeah. She developed a second book called Vocabularians, which moves it to the middle high area. She has written a book right before COVID and put together, um, again, for the very early literacy, and it's kind of stuck in that process of publishing now, but it is, we look for that to be another transformational book. So anything about vocabulary, I love uh, Brenda Overturf's books. We also have books that we use in our early cadres for professional development. Again, I'm sorry, I'm making a list and it's making it long. Please keep going. But with, uh, uh, Heinemann puts out a book that's called uh, uh, Literacy Beginnings uh, that we absolutely love and we share with our early childhood cadres. I call it our literacy Bible because it has, it, it is a very thick, very comprehensive book about literacy strategies for early learning and early oral language development. 
talks about classroom environment, talks about, you know, all of the, the pillars of literacy. Uh, I, I mean, it's all very, very deep, comprehensive, and has lots of suggestions and practical ideas to put together. So that Literacy Beginnings, which is a, a pre-KK, there's one that they do after that, and I've lost the name of it, but it's a K-8 book, which is really good too, but for yeah. early childhood learners, which is our realm, because um, I love the littles, is uh, that, that uh, literacy beginnings. Uh, there's one more author that I want to share about, actually two, because you know I can't stop. <laughs> I love it. Actually, maybe three. But Probably. You know, in this day of where we're talking about, um, and, and not to get into the political realms about the, you know, the nomenclature now of science of reading and where we are on that, you know, the science of reading has been a longstanding kind of a very uh, theoretical perspective about teaching reading. And so it's been very pure. And our researchers uh, across the country, across the world, know what the literacy or the research perspective about how brains develop, how children learn, has been science of reading. There's been a push recently that it's become more commercialized. And so now we're hearing lots of things about pushing only certain aspects of the pillars of reading. And so there's a caution there that, you know, do we want to fall back into the age of you know, hooked on phonics? When I grew up and I had siblings, I had, I had friends that could read, they could read, 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 they didn't understand the thing they read because that was an age of like, let's talk about how fast you can read, get the letter development, get that together. But it wasn't about comprehension, fluency, so-so. And then, so some of those pieces, we talk about the science of reading, meaning it's really about the comprehensive literacy approach about structure, making sure that our, our students are learning with all the capacities that uh, they need in order to be successful. And so when we're thinking about those things, there are some really good resources out there that have been tried and true that are kind of beyond this whole kind of up and down what people might know as the reading wars and the political aspects of it. Mm -hmm. One of those books that has been a very seminal piece for me in my work, and again, because I grew up in an age when I was teaching special ed, that it really wasn't about literacy. It was about pullout services. So, you know, I could take the kids and we'd go out to the hallway or we'd have to go into a closet or we'd have to get them in the cafeteria. So we didn't disrupt the other learning. So it was more about behavior than it was about literacy. For me, I needed that. And as I got back into education again and realized that whole developmental piece that I wanted to learn, I realized that I was missing a lot. So I went for another master's and it was in uh, a, a, a reading specialist. And one of the books that was a really seminal piece to me was called The Strategic Processes of Reading by Dr. Janice Almacy. And that book it's very technical, but it has the great strategies and great kind of research perceptions about the processes, what we call the science of reading processes mm -hmm. in all levels that really has that foundational piece of it. So if you're really looking for something to kind of not be a part of the hype, but know what is truly the strategic process of reading, they think that is a great book. I think that that's the science of reading encapsulated that really captures a lot of uh, what we know as, as researchers and true literacy experts that are not trying to be commercialized, not trying to promote programs. Exactly. What are the best practices? That's a good way to go. And then on a lighter note, <laughs> I had the experience to meet Lawrence um, uh, Sipe. Well, Larry Sipe is how I know him. Um, through some events that we do here in Kentucky. 
and his work to me just it in, it encapsulated me. So picture yourself looking at a picture book. Think of your very favorite picture book. Mm-hmm. Just take a second. What is that picture book? Now think about as you look at the page and the artwork and you move the page over, well, the pictures are different. What do you think happened from the page one to the next set of pages? Larry Seip talks about all the story that lives outside of those pictures and how that becomes a place of learning when you talk about background knowledge. You're talking about moving students forward. You're talking about, you know, what can they do and thinking about um, uh, what would be the next things, what inferences, what might happen next, what are some perceptions Larry Sight transformed me from a non-literacy based special ed person because I grew up in a pond when they didn't teach us that stuff to a point where now I'm looking at literacy and thinking about early childhood stuff and knowing that there is a place that our students can talk about and learn outside of those pictures that they see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can say a lot in the pictures. There's a lot there. But what, when you turn that page, your mind is still working. But how did they get from the one little pig or two and the wolf talking to the next thing? A house is blown down. How do you figure out what happened through there? And Larry Seip has some great research work about what that means and talking about outside of the pages. And (laughs) that work has always been, it always gave me chills and still does to this day. So, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard you mention him before that. Wow. That is, <laughs> yeah, definitely so, have to write, put that one on list for sure. <laughs> so you got your book nerd here. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, got your book nerd. I'm talking about, I've got lots of more PD books that I could share, but those are the ones that right now that mean a lot to me. Yeah. I'm reading a book called Shifting the Balance, and mm-hmm. that has a lot to do about signs of reading and figuring out how do we kind of work. There's a couple other books out right now that we're trying to do that. And again, we're in a nation and a society of trying to figure out how this works, it's always been about education and politics, which, you know, we always wish that wasn't the case, but yeah. it is. And so how do we navigate that? And so we educate ourselves the best possible and we look at what are the best seminal texts that kind of get us there. So as I learn more about those, I'll share those with Katie. And, and if she wants to, she can, you know, share those with you all too. But I'm glad that I got to share at least these few resources with Me you. Mm-hmm. And again, I still talk too much. So. Yeah, but I have <laughs> First, um, I have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have a one more book question for you. If you were forced to write a book, <laughs> um, not gun to your head type thing. <laughs> Y'all, he just pulls out a bottle. I love him. I love this man. Yeah, <laughs> what would you write a book about? Given had to be forced to sit down tomorrow and write. My book would be about family relationships and text and how to connect families together through prose, written word, storytelling, and being creative. I think that's what would be. I really feel that that's where right now when we're at a core of family engagement and families being torn apart and families of different makeups and our kids are, you know, we're hearing about all these disparate reading things when it's not always the case. I think some of it's political. I think there's some of it that is very, very successful, but, um, but I feel like if there was a, there was something that I could contribute to 
which I don't feel worthy of, but if I could, okay. it would be about honoring what families are doing now that they don't know are literacy experiences that they're having with their families and whatever that makeup may be. And they're connecting kids to physical books. Now I do read a Kindle every once in a while. I get bored with them because I like to see, I like the smell of a cracked open book. I like the smell of a library book. I like to feel a page turning in my hand. I like to see a book that I'm, oh, I'm a halfway through. I'm two thirds through, which yeah. I don't always get when I'm looking at something digital. I think those resources are great and I use them a lot, but there's something about a physical book and having a child look at it, experience it, get involved with it, even as colorblind as I am, looking at the pictures and the colors and thinking there's something here that's trying to say something to me. And how could we help families say, you know what, I may not be a doctorate. I may not be a college professor. I may not be a teacher, but I can show you the way through a book. But we can talk about stories. We can do a picture wall. We can talk about what authors, what we can go to the library and ask the librarian, what are the books do we have that might connect to this book? Yeah. So uh, you just got me, uh, you really hit me on that one. And now I'm about to be on the verge of tears. So yes. <laughs> yeah, me over here, like, I'm like, um, I don't want to add more because this man takes on too much and I love him, but he needs to sort of say no, but this is going to be something that I'm not going to let you say no on. Cause I think this is a book the world needs was who. I just feel that that is, that's where we need to give yeah. our families the ability to say, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing and it still is a literacy experience. Yeah. And that's the stuff that I don't know that people understand when, when we go out and talk about the stuff that we're doing, which I, I hope I get a few moments to talk about. That Absolutely. Now. Please go talk, talk. But even in that, when in our work, there's like, you know, we, we just can't read the books. Well, that's okay. You got pictures, tell the story, tell them, do a, do a story. You tell your story what you see those pictures because yeah. those your children are going to hear your voice. That yeah. voice is a part of oral language development. The words you're using, who cares how complicated they are? Yeah. Say your words, give your expressions, talk about colors, talk about whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. You're giving that child a literacy experience that they're not going to get on their own. And so that's that's what I'm learning is that in our work with our families, it's like, gosh, I feel like I was at a deficit model. I'm not at a deficit model now because now I can contribute. I don't just don't know how. And so that's where we get to do that and share. You are doing things that are important. When you cook, you cook. Do you talk to your, your, your little one sitting there with you and you talk about so much of this recipe, so much of that ingredient, how much of this, do you mix it? Do you flip it? Do you, what, what do you do with it? Those are literacy experiences. Exactly. You do. You go out walk in the garden and you're talking about, well, these green beans aren't ready yet. Those peppers are not the right color, which in my family, they always hated me <laughs> peppers and tomatoes because I could never see the colors because I'm, I'm a colorblind guy. Don't ever it's have not a lot to pick them. <laughs> but you're talking about that. Those are literacy experiences. You look out and see the flowers. My grandparents, both of my grandmothers taught me how to plant flowers and care for plants. And so we got to talk to them. They knew I couldn't see the colors. But we got to talk about them and the nurturing. That's a literacy experience. Even my grandmother telling me that when I was bad, I had to go pick off my own switch. And then I come back in, it's like, oops, not the right one. You got to get bigger. <laughs> and even that was a literacy experience. I cried over that one. But yes, I had to do that. But it was a learning experience. So it is, you know, I, I just, I feel like as a society, 
we need to be able to make sure that our ground roots are not forgotten. Storytelling and history and background knowledge does not have to come necessarily from all this academic place. It comes from a place of nurturing and nature and loving the life that we live in. Even if it's a difficult life, you're still getting background knowledge. So yeah. I have got to shut up. I, no, no, please don't. Don't ever shut up. Um, that's a very good point because the my next episode, the happy hour episode, I sat down with Renee, who wrote a food memoir. And one of the things that she said influenced her was she was talking about um she lost her grandma at a young age, but how she wished I'd be someone that she would love to cook with because she, you know, she feels that her grandma would be proud of the recipes that she's put together herself and gotten into cooking because that's what she remembers at a young age was her grandma and her mom. And we even talking about that and turning those type of, and like, like what Crystal Wilkins says for those, oh, I mentioned Crystal it in the, love Crystal yes, I mentioned this in this next upcoming podcast about her in the food uh, thing that she did associated with and the same thing. And it's just like, and when you mentioned about just even looking at pictures in the story they tell, it's like, that's one of the reasons I've always loved Matt Glover yeah. is, you know, he sits down. If anybody ever has a chance to get one of his PDs or watch some of his videos where he just sits down with the kid, they either write a book and he has them read it to them. And it could change from reading to reading. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, they just, just writing a book and it doesn't have to have words. It can just be pictures or scribbles and it could be completely different to somebody else. And yeah, that's expression <laughs> interpretation. That's yes. what we need to honor with that early life childhood literacy. Yeah. We can, we can give them the instruction to get there, but we've got to inspire that piece of inspiration and creativity so that they can interpret however they want to, then you have an open door to move them into those other pieces. So. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit, um, I'm going to let you go ahead and promote it because it's my favorite thing in life. Um, and I'm, we sad to lose it, but so we have it for our state of Kentucky, for our kids. And um, for those that know, Keith was a big pioneer behind getting the Imagination Library here to uh, the state of Kentucky and it's going statewide thanks to all the hard work. So one bless you for that. Um, talk about your experience with that and getting, getting that. I know it's gonna make you emotional. Yeah, well, I, I might I might get a little, and, and you all can't see me here. I'm probably gonna put on a dolly wig and kind of just make sure I get into my full dolly mode and nine to five or whichever one that movie I need to get into. But um, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna say that Again, if you if you not are familiar with the work that Dolly Parton does in a philanthropic uh, philanthropic mode, is fantastic. But her legacy and what she says that she is glad that she is known as the book woman, the mm -hmm. library woman, more than she is known as being a songwriter, a singer, an actor, because that's the legacy she would leave for her dad. And so this whole incredible project that she started in Tennessee in Sevierville County, where where she grew up as my dog is pushing her hedgehog. <laughs> so like she knows how much I love Dolly. Yeah, she um, does. She's cheering you on. <laughs> yeah. um, that it has been incredible work and is now expanding not only in uh, Sevier County and Tennessee, but across the U.S. and in uh, three other countries. Mm -hmm. And so it is very, very much an international project. Um, we have, and, and I won't go into the full details of it, but 
we were challenged by one of our former first ladies who is a dear friend of mine, uh, um, first lady Jane Bashir, who's like, I learned about it. We got to get this going. You help make it happen. Yeah. And so that challenge came and we've been working on it for 11 years now, I guess almost 12 and it's come to fruition. And now our state is expanding and we're getting it for uh, all of our children as we continue to make this work. The books that they put out are just incredible. Uh, I, I, they have a book list every year that you can find online and they have a committee that comes together and put these books um, kind of pick through. Uh, they all happen to, to come through Random House um, Penguin Books, uh, but they, they they really vet them. And they have a lot of books that are standard that stay in each age group. They have some that they try to introduce new titles. There are at least two titles every year that are bilingual uh, mm -hmm. with English and Spanish. And um, I mean, they just continue to move through texts that are, again, the thing that sold me on it when the First Lady had challenged us to look at this was what can, what is the benefit of it? And not only are we really hoping that we're getting at the end of kindergarten readiness and get all our kids in because it's a, at a birth uh, to up to the fifth birthday. But the thing that a dear friend of mine, Christy Krause, who is a regional director of the Imagination Library, you ever have the chance to meet her. She is an amazing, amazing woman. Um, and she told me, yeah, well, she's my uh, Dolly Redhead. Yeah, that's what I call her. Yeah. She's my sister. Yeah. Uh, but she said that this is where we start closing the gaps because regardless of what part of the community they're coming from, they all have these common texts. And when they get to preschool, kindergarten, our educators now can talk about common background experiences, common texts that these kids have had. And regardless of where they are socially, they are connected academically through literacy experiences of saying, hey, we all read the little engine that could, or we read Old Barney's Cub. We have read The Pretender. We've talked about, you know, the, the, uh, there are so many books in there that it really helps to close the gap. So again, I know we're talking um, about the Kentucky community and I love all of our Kentucky people. Woohoo, go cats, go whatever, <laughs> Murray Racers. Uh, <laughs> Nothing yes. about Louisville, sorry. The Cardinals too. The the, the Norsemen, whatever, all of everybody. <laughs> um, we love our state. <laughs> but uh, it's more than that. And it's helping us to grow. And I know that all of you out there that may not just be in the state of Kentucky, if you don't have it, talk to your legislators, find out. And if not, contact me and I'll put you in place with contact of who to get hold of so we can start working in your state to make this. It is an amazing. If you're not familiar with the premise, anybody that is, once a community is eligible and the it's, it's a birth to age five eligibility for children up to their fifth birthday, it is free to families and the, the, the children and their families. Um, there is community sponsors that help offset the cost of the books. When you've ever been out to buy a book, I'm pretty sure if you're looking at children's books, you're not buying them a whole lot at five to 10 to $15. Yeah. You can get a whole year, 12 books, 12 books for less than $25. Yeah, and so getting that sponsored and they're quality age appropriate books. They're not just random books. And to me, I don't know if there's ever really a random book, but you know, <laughs> just knowing that these are really quality age appropriate that have really valuable lessons. They're in diverse them. too. Yes, I love that. Very diverse. And that's the thing that you're getting this aspect of it. So um, let us know if there's anything we can do to help support that, to help you get your community involved. 
But I'm telling you, Kentucky, we are on it. And we are so excited. We've got a big event that's coming up in July to kind of get everybody together and talk about how we can use the books more, how can we can get more people involved. But this is an amazing, amazing effort. So now I get to just share with you a few titles. That yes, I, please do. do I still get to that, Katie? Absolutely. So, please share some of your favorites because there are some amazing, amazing books that, that I've so, always loved. The first one I'm going to share is Ferdinand. Ferdinand has been on the list. I don't know if it's there now or not because these keep going out. Ferdinand is a very important story to me. It was important to me when I was growing up. And seeing this in the list of books has been amazing about not being who that you were expected to be, but being yourself. And that how the Ferdinand the Bull was not meant to really like, I'm not going to be aggressive. You know, I'm a lover <laughs> of flowers, whatever it might be. And there's a very special person in my life that this this book, I, I dedicate to that. Um, there are Matt Dale Pena books that are just amazing. Uh, that's in there. Uh, what did I just do? Oh, oh, that's the wrong list of books. Let me grab it. <laughs> Yeah, he really does have piles of books around him. You should see. Oh, it. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> Meet Me at the Moon, which is uh, a lovely story. Uh, just Dolly Parton, The Coat of Many Colors. Uh, again, based off of what we know is the movie, but you know that song and everything else before yeah. then. Max and the Tagalong Moon is amazing. That is a beautiful, beautiful story. Pretend is one of my favorites. Who does not like to pretend? Who doesn't? wish they could pretend at times even in my old dinosaur age that i like to just like pretend that gosh i you know this is where i am right now or i can find a place that i feel happy or an age or a you know whatever and who i want to be with one of my favorites is not your typical dragon and if you have a story that is hilarious not your typical dragon because yeah. we fire like every other dragon breathe <laughs> something else and so people ostracizing and it's really about finding his own place following papa's song about two whales mm -hmm. and just knowing that the whole whale language and if you're yeah. from the Pacific Northwest, like yes. one of my very good friends. Oh, <laughs> that there's just a beautiful story there about hearing that voice and being able to follow and connect. And Many Moons by James Thurber. Now, James Thurber is an old author, but it's an awesome book. Again, right. um, I've read that one. It's a beautiful book. One of my favorites is Old Bear and His Cub. And if uh, we get a place to chance this, we have actually a website for our Collaborative Center for Literacy Development that we did videos around these books and we started working with the Imagination Library. I do a piece on this book. You can't laugh because I, it's one of my first videos done. <laughs> talking about even how you use this book and they talk about the different types of foods and berries that old Bairdy's cover talking about, yeah. but how that turns into making a grocery list and how could you could now transfer that into a life skill and working with your young ones going to the grocery and let them help pick out, find us something that begins with an O or where is, what do you see a fruit that might be black or red? Well, unless they're colorblind like me. <laughs> so it's again, the books are chosen with great thought in them. Um, lots of diversity and just finding a place where our young learners can feel comfortable, feel like, they're learning and have our families get engaged too. Because again, as I said, when we're learning through this, not all of them have the most expert literacy skills. Even at my age, I still stumble over words. Yeah. But how can I look through pictures and say, this is what the story I'm telling. This is the story. And 
we're going to still talk about stuff and we're going to have language and we can have questions and answers and it's all together. It's a, it's, it's a, it's one of the things in life that I feel that we get to unify old, young parent, sibling, offspring, whatever that we get to connect through literacy. And if there's anything that I feel that I ever want to leave as my legacy epitaph, it's just that, (laughs) connected through literacy. That that was it. I just want us all to be connected through literacy. We're in a time and an age where things are so disconnected, but how can we find a common place in our children's books that meant so much to us? And let's get our children ready to take on our future because they feel connected. We've got mistakes that we're having to clear up for. Fine. Mm-hmm. We can do it. We It's going to take time. But through children's literacy, Wow, that may be the way that we get our kids and say, hey, you know what? We might not be the might be the best examples, but at least the children's literature, we can all get there together and we can find that common ground. Good Lord, oh my God, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is this is why I wanted you. <laughs> and now we get to the drinking part of the show, because we're all gonna need one after this, because Keith is out here preaching for us tonight. I love it. And yeah, there's one of the many reasons why I get the distinct pleasure of working with this guy every day. Oh, no, no, no. it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I'm just old. (laughs) Before we do we drink or before or after I read this story? We're going to need to drink after you read this story. So Keith has... And I, I absolutely love that he's going to read this book because it's one of my favorites too. So go ahead, Keith. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I'm keeping you on this long. And if you no. are, then ooh, you're a trooper. You deserve yeah. a drink at the end with us because we're going to talk about some alcohol concoctions too. <laughs> this is one of my favorite books that got introduced to me. And I, I like to read this every year to our group of teachers that we get to work with. The privilege I have to work with these early childhood kids. It's called I Wish You More by Amy Krauss Rosenthal and Tom Lichtenheld. I wish you more. I wish you more ups than downs. I wish you more give than take. I wish you more tippy toes than deep. I wish you more we than me. I wish you more hugs than uggs. Where did the rest of the story go? There's more to the story. I lost the rest of the story. Oh my God. Did you lose it? Drink now. Drink now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where'd the rest of the story go? I just lost my internet. Just went. Phew. Did you go ahead and pick up where you left off? Yes, please do. Yes, because I'm going to cry anyway. So. <laughs> I will take over now. I wish you more woohoo than whoa. I wish you more will. Then Hill, I wish you more can than not. I wish you more snowflakes than tongue. I wish you more pause than fast forward. We all need that. I wish you more umbrella than rain. I wish you more bubbles than bath. I wish you more treasures than pockets. 
I wish you more stories than stars. I wish all of this for you because you are everything I could wish for and more. And that's the end of story time. God, I love that book. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, if there's anything I could say to all of you is like, we wish you the best. This is crazy times. It is. We wish you the best. And if you can share this with your, not only your children, but share with your adults too, that book, I wish you more. It is, yeah, you can't see me now, the snobbling and snotting. <laughs> and my dog right here. Like, dog? What are Hi. you doing? What are Daddy? you doing? Dad? You're crying. So. But thank you. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this evening and being able to share with you my joy and my passion and the, the shared passion I have with my great friend and dear sister and niece, whatever. I mean, whatever she is. Katie, <laughs> so now it's time that was to talk an about pleasure. Yeah, now we get the adult version of this program. <laughs> what are you drinking over there? Are you, are you just drinking straight out of the bottle other than when well, we saw that earlier? I had some Silas Jones, which if you've not had the Silas Jones bourbon is an amazing bourbon. Uh, don't dis, don't, uh, diss the bottle because the bottle looks like it is uh, something that is lower shelf, which is okay because lower shelf stuff can be good, mm -hmm. but it's a very, very smooth bourbon at 80 proof. So Silas Jones uh, is a really good bourbon. Yes. I'm also looking at my bottles of Rock Hill. If you've not had Rock Hill Farms out of uh, Kentucky, amazing bourbon, beautiful bottle. I wish I could show you the picture. Um, I also love the Wilderness Trail uh, series out of Danville, Kentucky. Uh, those bourbons are really, really good. And um, has really got into bourbon, I guess. I don't know. And I think there was a question that somebody even asked me is like, if you ever could have a glass of bourbon with somebody alive or dead, who would it be? And I think it'd be my papa. My papa and I, I mean, I was so close to my papa. I uh, love my papa. Um, but, and I knew he drank. And at times, but it, it, it wasn't abusive, but at times he would, he would tie one on. He, whenever my mamaw would make bourbon balls at Christmas, Pepaw every once in a while would slip in a little extra more just to make <laughs> that, that oh, Pepaw's been here today. So, um, <laughs> but my Pepaw and I, 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 just because we, we never got to experience that. And I think that my Pepaw and I would have had a really good time just enjoying different bourbons. I really, I would have really liked that a lot. I had some uncles that maybe, but my papa, my papa was just, he was an, he's an amazing man. And it was just papa boon razor. I just, uh, my papa. Um, That's so cute. Yeah. I don't know. You know, again, I'm a, a little sap. I've, I've read a book. We've read a book about, I wish you more. <laughs> Talking about my childhood books. Yeah, I'm not this emotional, emotional sap. <coughs> Shit, I am. Never mind. Yes, I am. So. <laughs> you, <are. laughs> you don't have to lie. Yeah. Talk good. about other bourbons. If you like Weller and you can find them, uh, we all <laughs> like the Wellers. To me, my impression is they came out of the same bash, uh, mash bill as Pappy. I think they're much better than Pappy. Uh, the Weller Special Reserve, uh, the, the, which, we used to be a white label, now a green label. Yeah, and yeah. then the next one, I think, is help me, Katie, here with color red. Red, yeah, it's the red label. Red I don't know That one to me is a little bitter. The yeah. 12 year is really good. It's potent, but it's good. But if you can find the blue label, the foolproof, that is like the blah. <laughs> That's the really good one. That's my favorite out of that whole Wheeler series. So, yeah, that one I have. 
I haven't tried that one, but I've always, that's the one everybody always says. If you find a bottle, no matter the price, you never pass it up. <laughs> that you well, always. Not well or liter, uh, uh, well or religious experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually great because I've had the 10 and 15 year papi, and I was like, eh. I mean, they were good. Yeah. But I same thing. I when I had the first time you gave me, I think it was you that gave me a bottle of Weller that like you have to try this, you'll be amazed. And I think at the time it cost like what twenty five bucks. <laughs> you're, you're a bourbon influencer, yes. That's yes, why yeah, that. exactly. This yeah. is partly why I have this show is because of you. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh. uh, another Booker's uh, Booker's and Basil. When I was a bartender in my years. That uh, now Kaya's gonna found her squeaky ball. So if you hear squeaky now instead of uh, groundhog fart noises, it's decided this is this is usually her. I need to be on screen. Phase. Uh, and she's listening. Turn it down. Yeah, but um, so I was when I was a bartender, people either were Booker's or they were Basil Hayden, and I was not a fan of Basil Hayden. I love Booker's. Well, Booker's came out with a series that did um, for. Um, Booker No, who was, you know, kind of the creator of the bourbon that yeah. did one and they were they're called chapters. So a chapter one each year, they put out something special. I think they're up to chapter four. Uh, if it's beyond that, I don't know. I have chapters one and three. I have yet to open them, but they're the tag around the top. Just it's that literacy experience. It's called a chapter <laughs> instead of a version or a, um, you know, a release. It's a chapter. Someday oh, okay. I'm going to really, open those up for a very, very special occasion. Um, and I think I know the special occasion, but I'm just going to wait and tell you what that is another time. <laughs> um, but those are really good. But talking about basil, because I was not a basil fan, they came out with basil Hayden toast. And that I'm is drinking. very, very special yeah. bourbon. It has a nice kind of caramely feel. You get this nice little kind of warmth in your chest. It's yeah. not burning. It's not bitter. Um, it almost makes your toes feel like, gosh, I'm in the sand. And I'm <laughs> kind of thing. So, like you're sitting at a, I kind of compare it like I'm sitting at a campfire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Which is one of my favorite things to do with my dad. Like when you mentioned drinking bourbon with your papa, that that's, my dad and his best friend um, who passed away about 10 years ago now that I would have loved to sit around the fire, drink bourbon with them on their salmon fishing trips. And that, <laughs> but yeah, that's what this reminds me of. And I, which I love it. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised because same thing, not a Basil Hayden fan. I thought it was too, it's too much heat for me. Yep. And, um, but like I said, I trust her instincts and the bottle he gave me. And I was like, well, I'm not going to turn that down. And it's, it's really, I, I enjoy it. I haven't gone through too much, as you can see, only a little. He has more temperance than I do. <laughs> My Silas Jones, on the other hand, I got to buy another bottle this week. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My monthly bottle of it. Oh. <laughs> um, do you have any bourbon bucket lists that you would love to try someday? You know, I think that's one of the joys I get to do with our little part-time job is having that yeah. down there. And as much as I've tried to leave because of all of my other experiences, I get to see bourbons that come in. Uh, the old Fitzgerald, the birthday uh, bottle, I've never done that one. Yeah. And the bottle is beautiful, but I'm not so sure. I don't know about the taste of it. And a lot of times you can cover up a package with something that looks really good and not be good, but people really covet that. Um, so that may be one, maybe the birthday version of that. Um 
I would like to eventually open my bottles of one and three of the Booker, the, the little books, but I also want two and four too, because as a literacy guy, I really want a display of those bottles. Yeah. And it's, I'm not one of those people that collect them and try to sell them. I just, I'd like to have them yeah. and when it comes time, open them up for special occasions. Exactly. Uh, Cause I like to drink them. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's what my purpose is. Um, as far as anything new releases that I've been looking for, you know, I don't know because I've just been so busy with everything else that we have customers that come in and say, Hey, this is coming out. I was like, well, you know more than I do. Just tell me <laughs> how to find it. There is an Elijah Craig and um, a couple other things or uh, um, E.H. Taylor, which is one of my favorite bourbons mm-hmm. that there are some specialties out there that I've never tried. I'm not a big rye fan. Well, <laughs> let me take that back. I'm getting more into rye, but I'm very much I'm, I'm much more particular about the rise. And so every day there's an E.H. Taylor and E.H. Taylor is one of my favorite bourbons of all time that I'd like to find out what that's about. Um, and there's a couple others along that line too, but you know, I, I, where I am, I get to keep in stock with stuff that I know. And if there's something I have heard about and don't know, I can just ask and see if we can get them in and try them. Um, I always try to find instead of going buying a bottle that might be outrageous priced, go find a local place that has a great bourbon bar and have them try them. Unfortunately, if you're not in Kentucky, they're harder to find. Yes. But if you're not, come to Kentucky and I can share you some really good ones, including Goodfellas and a lot of places downtown Lexington <laughs> that have a very extensive bourbon bar that you can try and, and get a good taste of something before you purchase a bottle too. So. Yeah. If you ever yeah. happen to be in, you got to stop in on Thursday nights and see Katie and me. Working and <laughs> we will give you bottles. That, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's our thing. So very, very true. That's our other thing. Our yes. first thing, but bourbon, bourbon is, is a, yes. yes. So our bourbon and books go together very, very naturally. Me too. <laughs> What's an overrated bourbon for you that everybody loves? I know your answer, but you're going to say me. You're going to make me say that, aren't you? Uh, uh-huh. I'm going to put you on the spot. There are two that I feel that they're overpriced and it's again a niche uh, or niche. I feel like that they're okay. They're just not my favorite. Blanton's is one of them. I feel Blanton's prices are getting ridiculous. They are. Um, Um, It's a beautiful bottle, but it's really about collecting that horse on the top because there's a bit. And the other one's Blade and Bow. And it's the same thing. You're collecting the keys. Mm -hmm. So you're paying more for the you're paying for the nostalgia of having those two icons and collecting them. If you're looking for maybe an underrated bourbon that I feel is really good, it's a little high price, but it's one of those that I tell people, if you're my customer and I see you out and you mix it with anything else besides ice, I'm going to smack it out of your hand (laughs) and take your bourbon card. And that's anything Angel's Envy. Angel's Envy is done in in port barrels. It is really a nice, nice, smooth bourbon. And it's one that I don't think you need to mix with anything. I think it is very good, pure. And there are some bourbons out there. You know, people ask me about makers. I I grew up, I started, I mean, I was a late bloomer. Didn't get to try anything. Makers was my first. Makers and an L8. I mean, if you're from Kentucky, that's that's what you do. Yep. (laughs) Too sweet for me. I can't do it now, but it's a great cooking sauce. I make great Tabasco bourbon sauces with makers. I make some good jams with makers. So Makers is oh, a good bacon. drinking bourbon, but it's not my drinking bourbon. Yeah. Now, the, the regular Makers. Now, yeah. the rest, I like the 46. I like all the others. Cash drink, but just the regular Makers is a great cooking bourbon for me. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. For, I'm, I'm the same way. I started exactly at Makers, and I have to laugh. I'm sending a teacher friend who had a very shitty year, as many teachers did this year, and she's just getting into bourbon, so I got her a little Makers. 
you know, <laughs> to send to her along with that. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way about 46. So that is something that I now realize I don't have in my collection anymore because I drank it all. <laughs> This well, is the problem. They changed the label, so it's a they did. They did. I still have the label, the bottle, because I was like, "This is the last of that label that yeah. it was." Um, and shape of that box, it just went to a completely different shape too. But yeah, makers the same way. I cook with it. It's what I make my bacon with. Yep. I always keep a small pint. To... It's sweet. It's got that sweetness to it. That's yeah, really good. It does. it does. So that's and I think that's actually I got my mom into it. She started drinking. Kentucky mules and she absolutely loves them. That's what they go camping because she always has to have a Kentucky mule now. It cracks me up because she was never a bourbon drinker ever. My dad dabbles in it and I bring him home bottles. He appreciates that I work at a liquor store now. Yeah. So, <laughs> he benefits from it, from not just bourbons, but also the rums and everything yes. he loves. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, you answered. Really, all that's anything else you want to talk about? I'm just yeah. thankful to be here and be able to yeah. share. Just you, you've opened up in my life that's very tumultuous now with things going on at the end of the fiscal year and stuff that's <laughs> happening with what we're doing the statewide with the Imagination Library and things that are going on, even in my academic piece, just to have a place to be able to share the love and passion for literacy and bourbon together yeah. because those to me go hand in hand yes too much bourbon makes light of literacy but too much <laughs> literacy can never make light of bourbon so, exactly uh, <laughs> you can quote me on that one so <laughs> i love that. i uh, uh i just feel very honored to be able to be with you all today and tonight tomorrow whatever it is i don't even know what day it is so <laughs> it is uh, it's, a wednesday or it's tomorrow yeah <laughs> and uh if you have any questions, book list, bourbon list, uh, just contact Katie and I because we can put them together. And, Absolutely. Uh, well, my love for teachers and my love for early childhood education are the things that get me through these days. So, yeah. I know. And one special person, too. We always. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, this was, you're definitely going to be back. We're going to, I I still think we should record during KRA's conference this year. And with our teachers there that can promote that. But um, again, thank you so much for joining us. And he will be back, trust me, because the man has more books to talk about. So I oh, I know oh, he restrained. He definitely, this is him restraining everybody. So he boy. knows I don't restrain very well. So if you have any special requests, let us know. I'll bring them back. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank all you, right. everybody, thank for you joining all. us. Love you all.